Hi, this is Michael Ford Feeney, and welcome to episode zero, or the preview episode, of Now Very Beast, Iron Maiden, The Next Ten Years. This show is an offshoot of my website, nowverybad.com, which is basically a review site for mostly movies. There's a small amount of book reviews and an even smaller amount of music reviews. If you pop over there, you're going to notice that it certainly has a really movie-heavy focus. But I'm hoping with the creation of this series to start restoring the music side of the site, which was originally the idea. So I'm kicking it off by boldly going where more or less everyone else has already gone before with a podcast series. Now, I don't want to call it a podcast because we don't use iPods anymore. But somehow, I don't think I'm going to be the one person who convinces everyone to stop using that word. So I'll probably just lean into it and deal with the fact. Now, I'm hoping to have the episodes themselves not be extremely long. I really want to keep it kind of short. But this episode zero was never going to be that. I knew all along that the episode zero was always going to be a longer thing because I had to explain why the hell I was doing this, why I'm doing this show. And honestly, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I've re-recorded this episode several times because I really want it to be tight. I think that once we're rolling into the other episodes, it's going to go a lot smoother. But it's really been this one episode zero that I've been hung up on because I think it's really important. You've got to be clear to potential listeners what they're getting in for so they can determine whether they have any interest in it. And so the short version is that this show, Now Very Beast, or The Next 10 Years, it's about me creating a project based on the singles from my favorite band, Iron Maiden. It's going to be talking about the songs and the releases, but it's all going to be through my own lens. So I'm focusing on the broader story about how music can expire and create a connection to a specific part of your life. Because while the show is obviously going to be mostly about Maiden, there's already an awful lot of great content out there. There's tons of books and websites. I'll certainly reference some of them as we go along. In fact, I'm a particular fan of the no longer updated, but really incredibly detailed Iron Maiden commentary website. And the consistently excellent uh, Talking Maiden podcast. These two guys from Newfoundland who do these really fantastic deep dives on all the tracks. There was another podcast that started quite a while ago called the Maiden Fans Podcast. It's done by a fellow masshole. I'm talking to you right now from south of Boston. Uh, and I did see that he's starting up a new series called Maiden Order, which is going to be going through every single track, one per episode. So there's already a lot of content about Maiden, and I'm not really going to try to forge a new space in that area. But I'm going to be narrowly focused in a way with this show. I'm going to be talking about one of the items I haven't heard a whole lot about. Certainly not enough for my own interest, anyway. A particular series from Maiden called The First Ten Years. It started in the beginning of 1990. Actually, the first time I recorded this episode was 30 years to the day when they released the first installment of the series. On February 12th, 1990, the band put out the first of a 10-week series, reissuing all their singles at that time, celebrating their first 10 years of recording with EMI Records. Now, this was pretty unique, at least in terms of my knowledge. In the annals of record releases, I don't know of any project where a label had scheduled a weekly series of this type. The idea was that there was going to be a record released each week for 10 weeks, 
each with a little paper voucher in there. And that at the end of the series, whether you bought them in CD or vinyl, only in the UK, of course, uh, you'd get these and you'd send them in and you'd get a box to put all this material in. And then you'd have a box set. You know, box sets being all the rage at that time. And so each release was made up of two singles, which worked really well because at this point, Maiden was like clockwork. At this point in their career, they put out an album pretty much every year. They generally had two singles from each album. And so it worked out really well to collect them like this, that each release in the series would have the A side and the B sides from each single. Uh, you know, on the vinyl, they were actually two slabs of vinyl, one for each single. Uh, but then they add something at the end. It was kept off with this new track recorded by drummer Nico McBrain. The boisterous, ridiculous, fantastically wonderful goofball Michael Nico McBrain. These were labeled Listen with Nico, parts 1 through 10. But he always introduced them as Not a Lot of People Know That, which is an old expression misattributed to Michael Caine. Some, actually something Peter Sellers did an impression of Michael Caine that Michael Caine hated, where he would say, not a lot of people know that. Went on to be a Benny Hill thing as well. But the idea here was that this new track was ostensibly to provide some information about the music that you've just listened to. You know, talk about what was going on with the band at the time, whether these singles charted, what their release dates, things like that. And broadly speaking, you did get lots of great in information in these, you know. And I think Nick goes a riot. You know, I found these tracks really entertaining. Not everybody did. A lot of people really don't dig his sense of humor or just think that it was a lot of wasted space. But I really loved them, but they were definitely frustrating because Nick would like constantly interrupt himself and he'd lose his train of thought and he'd make these, oh, he'd make the most awful jokes. And, you know, he'd spend all this time acting really silly and then just sort of get distracted from the story that he was trying to tell. And that's all fine, but the clock was always running. And he would always talk about, oh, I gotta hurry up here, I'm running out of time. And you're like, well, then stop wasting it. You know, stop telling me that you are running out of time and talk instead of telling me that. But uh, I mean, I guess that they were putting these on vinyl, so they only had a certain amount of space in order to fit on the records. You know, especially some of the later singles, they might have had two or three B-sides on them. And they would still sequence all the tracks so that it would be, you know, just the single on the A side of the record. But it probably would have made a little more spatial sense to balance it all out. But there was a time constraint on there and you just you kind of really wish they would just abandon that and just go into more information, tell more stories. And as we go through this series, I'm going to get into each of those releases and what was happening. But I was always very frustrated that there were only 10 of these. Because these records were extremely important to me. In many ways, these were among the most important, noteworthy, inspirational releases pretty much in my life. And I know that sounds really, really melodramatic. And I get that. I mean, we're talking about the re-releases of singles that I never actually was able to get the first time around here in the States. You know, it never really was released over here. You know, they just sort of made their way over here. 
So it's probably still pretty well unknown to the broader public, both in the States and any other territories that don't happen to be the UK. So, you know, why is this important? Why would I still be talking about these CDs I hunted down 30 years ago at record shops? Why am I taking the time to go through all this? Well, that's something I'll get into over the course of the series. But broadly speaking, you know, sort of sum it up here, it's this. The show's going to be unashamedly personal. You know, it's essentially about Maiden, but it's more about my relationship with Maiden. It's about this series coming along at a time that was absolutely crucial to me when I was beginning this journey of wanting to be a musician. And, you know, ultimately, it really comes down to the same things that anybody talks about when they're talking about their hobbies or their passions or their interests. You know, the idea that something was crucial because of when it came out, you know, that when it affected you during this this sort of seminal founding time in your life. You know, for many of us, that's high school or middle school or somewhere in your early college years, that there's a certain point in your life when the things that come on at that time, you know, the music you listen to, the movies they see, they just mean more to you than things that would come before or after. And in some ways, it's kind of as simple as that. Another reason for the show is that there's also a really interesting time capsule aspect of this. You know, I'll be talking about how these releases were presenting new information that was not easy to come by at the time. You know, news, and especially music news, would come out piecemeal, unpredictably, and, you know, with questionable accuracy. You know, it's certainly not a novel insight, but you really cannot overstate the difference in the world today through the Internet. I mean, you, you just can't really know how different it is if you didn't live through that and realize that this information just does not disseminate the way it used to. You know, it's so much easier to find things because just finding this was a task, you know, even knowing that these records existed was kind of a big insight. So, you know, I'm not going to get too much into that. I'll go about that through the episodes, uh, talk about going to record shows and, you know, getting this third hand news from these mislabeled bootlegs and these magazines you'd get from England and you know, how exciting it was to get these insights. You know, this was information you weren't getting somewhere else. And, you know, kind of made you feel like an insider, like you were involved, you were invested in these groups. So the big idea reason for the show is that this is a project to pick up where the band left off. Here at the beginning of 2020, it's been 40 years since the first single came out and the first album came out in 1980. So it seems quite a good time to start up the second 10 years. Beginning 1990, running through 2000, the third in 10 years, it'll run just to 2010, and the fourth 10 years, which is going to bring us to 2020, which is just, it's amazing. We're going to talk about the fourth 10 years, but it's especially great because there's loads of rumors about this new Maiden album being released, you know, from everything that we're hearing and all the blurbs going around, it seems extremely likely that it's either already completed, already recorded, or it's well on its way to being done. It might already be in the can. So it's my hope that as we're going through this, we're going to kick off the beginning of the fifth 10 years. And that's pretty amazing to think about. <laughs> so I'll probably get into the plans here. 
you know, the more detail in a later episode here about exactly how I'm planning to map this all out. But the basic idea of it is that I'm doing these episodes for a way to talk through how to make that project, how to create this new series of singles. You know, I'm not going to be putting out box sets, obviously, at the end of this thing, but I'm more or less going to try and map out how to do so. You know, the, in these podcast episodes, it's going to be sort of like a making of. It's me planning what should be on each release. The, you know, what's going to be on the artwork, what should be on the second 10 years part one, or whether we call it the next 10 years, part 11, or whatever we decide to name this stuff, you know, figuring that all out and getting ready to record that elusive listen with, or not a lot of people know that track. Because as I, this is a project I thought about for a long time. I always wanted to follow up with it. Um, But when I really sat down and said, okay, this is the year I'm going to do it. And planned on it, mapping this stuff out, I began to realize just how big this task was going to be and that it was not going to be as simple as the first 10 years. Because a lot of these singles and the B-sides and everything, it doesn't fit quite the same. They weren't putting out a record every year. Sometimes they had two singles, sometimes they had three, sometimes they had no singles, or they had weird promotional items tacked on so that a single would come out in five different versions across the world. And uh, it's, I really was just laying it all out and said, you know, I think I'm just going to talk it out. I think I'm just going to actually hit record and work it out. And then people can give me feedback on it and say, no, 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 you ought to do it like this or what have you. Because, you know, the biggest challenge is that I can hunt down all these singles and all this information. Now I can suggest how they ought to go together. I can put together some artwork, put it out there and say, you know, download this. And I think you're going to like how I've done this. And, you know, you can go find the singles yourself. I mean, I can't put the music out there for download for copyright reasons, but I can you know, explain the plan. This is what I'm thinking. And that's how it's going to go. But there's that missing track. There's the listen with Nico. The not a lot of people know that track. That's the challenge. I can't do that as well as Nico, frankly, because I just don't have that kind of insider information. I don't have these anecdotes from what was going on with the band at that time, how they recorded stuff, all that kind of stuff. You know, this track, I always think of it as track seven. A lot of the first 10 years, the Listen With Nico track was the seventh track because there was a pattern of pretty much a single, uh, you know, the 12-inch singles generally had two B-sides. So you'd end up with six tracks and track seven would be that. Not a lot of people know that. (laughs) So in the absence of that, obviously, I'm going to try and record those. I'll put together my... I don't know whether it's going to be a listen with Michael track or whatever it's going to be. I'll be recording that track seven. And so I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about during those, because this is not supposed to be another review show or these tracks that are supposed to go on your second 10 years and third 10 years discs are not supposed to be opinionated or anything 
where it's like my personal views on that. I'm not going to be saying, oh, yeah, this is, you know, Maiden put out Angel and the Gambler and boy, that was a terrible choice for a single. You know, that's not what Nico would have done. He wouldn't have given that sort of stuff. On the other hand, you know, I'm wicked opinionated, so I still want to talk about that stuff. So I figured, why don't I start off? This is the first time I'm doing this project, doing anything like this. Why don't I just start off by going through the first 10 years? The stuff that's already come out and doesn't need a new Nico track. And let me get my feet wet with that. And then I can move on to planning out what those next years are going to be like, what those releases will look like. So that you'll get an episode of me talking about the making of the second 10 years part one. And then the next episode would actually be just an MP3 that would be that listen with track that you could just download and put together your own package. And then you would have the whole thing. And then, you know, I just figured I'd work through the series that way. And, you know, it gives me a chance to get some feedback from people and you know, do a lot of research and come up with some interesting information and some accurate information and, you know, put my own little stamp there. And that's all a really good reason to do a show it's a bit nerdy a bit inside baseball but that's okay I, I'm a bit nerdy I love inside baseball but it's not the only reason and to be honest it's not the real reason the real reason finally ultimately is this is about my friend I cannot talk about Iron Maiden in any way without talking about my friend John he was nicknamed Spaz and nicknamed Basher. We used them interchangeably. And Maiden and Basher were absolutely linked. There's no way for me to talk about, think about, or listen to Maiden without thinking about my friend. And that's where it's going to get quite personal. <laughs> because John failed his saving throw. He left us three years ago. And I'm still dealing with that. And I'm still absolutely shattered by it. I think about him every day. And I'm kind of hoping that I can talk about it here. You know, uh, not to be maudlin. And, you know, I'm not going to be lying on the sofa talking about my feelings. But it's it's really the opposite of that. That, you know, most of my memories are wonderful. You know, I really want to talk about this. This was an amazing guy and, you know, we had an amazing relationship together and, you know, I want to talk about that and how we related to Maiden. This band was just like, it, it really can't be overstated how crucial they were to our respective development as musicians. You know, we, not only did we learn how to be musicians from playing along to their records, we learned that we wanted to be musicians, you know, just from listening to Maiden and talking about it and going through it. And, you know, there were other bands, but at some point everything came back to Maiden. You know, it, Maiden was our touchstone, you know, our North Star. You know, this was the thing that connected us. There were other things, you know, it was D&D &D and basketball and lifting and a lot of history and, you know, other stuff that we were into. But Maiden was really the connective tissue, you know, where we wanted to be in that band. They influenced every single part of my playing, my songwriting, my aspirations for being in a band in the first place. You know, every single band that 
John and I tried to make happen over the years was essentially us trying to be made and have some kind of a maiden existence. You know, we do way too many maiden covers and all these time signatures and all this overly complicated, overly long stuff. And, you know, it just, it influenced everything really. And so this isn't going to be sad. You know, I don't want you to think that it's going to be sitting around and whinging and just all of the sad things. But, you know, I do think it's an interesting take because there are people out there who've also had to try to cope the loss with cope with the loss of somebody and they want to talk about it. And maybe this can be helpful. You know, one of the things I've struggled with in the years since I've been trying to cope with this tremendous loss, my friend is trying to find the right words to talk about these things that shaped me. And my close friend, Paul, just like me, he was equally you know, formed and molded by this music we were into and by this you know, tremendous friend of ours. And, and Paul put it perfectly. You know, we were talking all the time after John passed. It was sort of hard to talk to other people who didn't also feel completely altered, you know, that their world had totally changed. Uh, I imagine everyone who's had loss goes through that, that it's hard to talk to people who aren't crushed and devastated. But, uh, you know, so it was hard to talk to other people because I'd say things, you know, like my friend died and sort of struggle with how to convey to them, you know, really how important this was, how devastating this was. But you don't want to be melodramatic either or anything like that. I didn't want to overstate things. And I always sort of struggled with the, well, you know, should I say, well, my best friend died or something like that? Maybe I should say it's my best friend. And then people understand, ooh, okay, that's that's real serious or whatever. But it just, it felt put on. It did not feel genuine. And Paul really put his finger on it. You know, it's something I'll always hold with me because the way he expressed it was perfect. He said that John was core, you know, that he was core. He was a core part of you. This is a man who was absolutely crucial to who I am as a person. You know, it's not overstating this to say that there's some people in your life that the select few people who really are core and, you know, I just love that so much better than saying, oh, some of these friends or best friends or any of that stuff. You know, it's so much more than that. It's he was part of the structure important in developing me as a human being on the planet Earth. I don't know how else to say it. And I, I love the to that way of describing it core because iron maiden is core you know there are just as there are certain precious things or precious people in your life there are certain things in this life that are also core to you you know who who you are and that they they absolutely define you they're a leg of your stool you know you cannot be defined without them being a piece of that and Basher was that for me, and for quite a few of us, actually. 
you know, there's some people who are core and you know, not coincidentally, they're generally are shaping you at a formative time you know, when you're beginning to become the person you are going to be. And, you know, it's just such an important time in defining who you are. And that's why I'm still talking about a bunch of CDs that I picked up in 1990. Because it was core for me at that time. That was a huge time in my life. And, you know, this project in particular, and made in general, really did impact me greatly. This was part of the soundtrack of those years. And, you know, talking about these releases with friends, you know, seeking them out, going to stores and record shows to find this stuff and learning about this stuff with those people. You're learning about the things that are important to you in life. So I really want to make this a positive experience because that's how I feel about it, that I feel fantastic to have all these great memories and to share them with my daughter, who's becoming a huge Maiden fan, which is really really enjoyable for me and uh so i i hope that this is going to be a really good time i don't want to uh come on too strong i think it's gonna be difficult because i think that this is going to be a really fun series we're going to talk about the history of these releases uh history of the albums in general you know, why this stuff mattered what we were doing when this stuff came out why it's so meaningful to us today and you know i hope that you find that interesting and are interested in hopping on for the next episode where we'll go into the very first release the first single running free back with the second single sanctuary and talking about the first album the debut album that came out in april 1980 and I promise that when we get to the next episode, you know, when I really actually launch this thing, I'll get some music up in there and it's going to, everything's going to be a lot smoother. So thank you for listening and, uh, up the irons, huh? Cheers. Oh, 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 one more thing. Uh, the name, right? Uh, now very bad. You know, what's the name? have to do with anything because uh, I'm just tacking this on you know to my website because I don't go to the trouble of making another website or anything but so the idea originally it was supposed to be kind of a music site um, and then I just found that I really had a lot more interesting perspective on films so it really mainly turned into a movie review site but you know I'm hoping to get more music stuff on there. And I always wanted to have this series now very bass, uh, talking about all the bass players who influenced me. I am a bass player. And uh, so I came up with the name of the, the website based on this old musician joke, which goes roughly as follows. A party of explorers are traveling through the jungle when they hear a steady rhythmic drumming. Curious, they ask their guide, what is the drumming all about? The guide replies, when drums stop, very bad. They continue their track, but they've got drums just keep pounding away. And again, they inquire about the sound. They're told, when drums stop, very bad. So they press on, nearly driven mad by this incessant drumming. When suddenly, the pounding stops. Explorers are surprised. Look expectantly to the guide. It says, now very bad. 
now be solo. <laughs> I know it's terrible, but I thought I'd tell you a bad joke to get to the spirit of this. Because if you think that was bad, <laughs> wait till you hear Nico's jokes. <laughs>